if I were to have a brand that was up and running today, these are the people that I would have in my marketing team running the show. Number one, I would have someone who is very strong and has an opinion on social media, which means that this person is um, understands how to stay relevant. If this person understands how to stay relevant, that person is going to be able to keep the brand relevant, which is number one. Number two, I would have a person or this same person have the ability to really truly understand platform, understand performance. That is the only way to win in today's world. The third, I will never disrespect experience and traditional practices. So it's very important to have someone who understands the traditional aspects of brand building, but is able to mold him or herself into operating with agility and operate and being able to mold themselves to what this complex world of marketing today is. Because, uh, you know, if I, the, you know, I've joked about this before. If I had a journalist, I had an IT professional, and I had a brand manager from a traditional company, that would make my marketing team. Hi, Pooja. Uh, lovely uh, having you as a special guest in our podcast. And uh, it's really nice talking to you. And thanks for taking time and talking to me. Oh, thank you, Swami. It's a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited that you and I have stayed in touch all these years. So thanks so much for the invitation. Brilliant. It's our privilege to have you uh, in the podcast. And let me dive into the conversation, Pooja. Uh, uh, so one of the things that, uh, you know, that have completely impressed me as a professional as far as you are concerned uh, uh, is the way I've seen you, you know, grow through the years, right from the Unilever days to, uh, you know, you've worked in, uh, you know, contract, then you moved to Femina and then you went out and built Glitch. So there's a whole story around how you've structured your career. Uh, but as you do all this, uh, my belief is that there are some very strong foundations that lead up to somebody successful like you, right? Uh, so how was your growing up years? Uh, what are those lessons that you learned, uh, you know, in your growing, growing up years, uh, which, uh, you know, you carry till date? So tell me some stories. Tell me, for example, I, I read that your grandfather was a poet, right? So, uh, you know, so there's some interesting things that I know. So therefore... What are the things that you learned during those days, which you carry forward till date? That's a great question. Um, you know, I haven't really ever answered that in an interview before. But um, for me, my foundation years were truly my foundation years because they defined me, they made me the person that I am today. And I take so much of that even today in the way I live my life. Life was tough while I was growing up. And I've said that part, you know, before my, I lost my dad when I was very young, when I was two and a half. So I'm really, I've been raised by a single mom who's an exceptional woman. So for me, uh, opportunities uh, seemed very distant because, you know, it was what you were busy with. Hey, let's get through today. Right. When that, that's when my, my, my environment was like that. I had to get through today, make sure that today is good. And looking very far ahead in the future was was not really something that we got into. But that's something that, you know, there's this, there's the inner fire you have. And I think you are you are either born with it or you create it. So I, I feel I was born with it. Um, and I always had it, even as a young child, where I wanted to get out of the situation I was in. I wanted to live a better life. And to be able to live a better life um, without the support system, of what a traditional family has. You know, you have a dad and you have, and my, my mom was so busy while she was working. So I was really in a sense building my opportunities myself. And that's that's one of the key foundations of my life, that I'm an opportunity spotter and I'm an opportunity builder. And I say that in the most positive manner, because you know, when you say hey, you're an opportunity spotter, sometimes it's taken very negatively. But I truly believe that you know, you've got to knock on the doors that you want opened. Sometimes they open automatically. Sometimes you really have to hammer hard, right? And I'm not, I, I'm not shy of that at all, even today, even at this age. 
I will go after an opportunity that I want opened up for myself. Uh, if it's something that I truly believe is good for me, good for my family, my environment. And that's what I went after. So one big uh, you know, core value, I say, which is to not shy away from knocking on doors. The second one is keeping your eyes and ears open. Uh, you know, we, you and I have spoken about this very recently is that so often people don't take feedback well. Um, but feedback is the biggest, the biggest gift you can get from someone. Because if you're truly listening, then that's the way you grow. Because so often when you are running, going after your goals as you create your opportunities, you forget, uh, you're not listening to things that you really should pay attention to. The second most important piece that I train, I have trained myself to be, to be a good listener, which is, you know, my, my professional coach told me this term very recently, where she said, it's actually not feedback, it's feed forward, because what you get helps you move forward. And um, it has been a great asset for me. Um, I, you know, I unlocked this not very early on in my life. Um, I say it happened sort of mid-career. Where I say, no, I've got to sit back and listen to what people are telling me. That's the only way I'm going to grow. So that's the second piece. Even till today, if someone's willing to take their time out and tell me stuff, I will sit back and listen. It's not about um, you know bruising my ego, or killing my confidence. You also have to, over time, have the maturity to understand what information is really good for you and will help you grow and what information is sort of harmful, right? You gain that maturity over time. But that's, that's an important piece to have. The third piece is to really be able to relax and take a breath. And the fact that you are the center of your own life. No one else is thinking about you as much as you are thinking about yourself. You know, in our culture, or I think in the culture of the world, we're so often worried about, oh, what is this person thinking about me? Or what is the industry thinking about me? What is my environment thinking about me? And so many of the decisions you take are sort of guided by that noise in your head. Hey, if I take this, this is how I will be perceived. If I don't do this, this is how I will be perceived. Um, again, something that I've done, you know, in the last, in, in the recent years, is just to sort of take, really shut out that noise i don't live for the community my life is for myself and because my life is for myself there are certain decisions which a community may not agree with which my industry may not agree with but you still take it because it's better for your life and that is really the third value slash principle slash rule that i sort of have for myself which is you're the hero of your own life no one is thinking about you as much as you are thinking about yourself so just i mean Go with the flow, do what you have to do and, and and stay mentally fit and happy. Did I answer your question, Swami? Perfect, perfect. And did this, did this come because uh, your mom has always told you, be a good person? Um, I, I think, you know, it it does come from that, right? We are, we're taught that as, uh, you know, I remember my mom telling me so many times, you know, I don't care if you are, just be a good person. Um, yes, it, it does come from that. Maybe, you know, it's it's a part of our conditioning. Um, but also from the way, for me largely, because I was always far younger than my peers, wherever I was. Um, that's no longer the case anymore, of course. I gladly report that. But, uh, you know, when I was starting out, I was always the, the youngest person in the room. And... And you're susceptible to um, to opinion, and I had to really train myself to say that it does not. Someone else's opinion of me does not matter. I don't live for them. My life is my own, and to be able to recognize that it's very liberating, because you then take decisions that you truly are happy about, and if you're truly happy about the decision, you do well, and at least that has been my experience and my story. Okay, so uh, so the creative side of yours, does it come from your uh, grandfather who was a poet? You know, maybe. The, you, you reminded me that right now, Swami. He was a Indian <laughs> poet, Harish Chandra Johari, that was his name. And uh, uh, I obviously didn't know of how important that was to the time I grew up because he used to tell us as kids and, you know, he used to read his poetry to us. I remember this one line he said on his deathbed to me. He said, 
jeete rao bura you know such a normal thing that you tell your and then he said he said this in hindi which i will not be able to do justice to uh, but I, i would say that in english he said look at the irony of life a dying man is giving the blessings of a long life you know and that was the kind of person he was and uh, has it had impact on me subconsciously i'm i'm sure it has you know that oh, absolutely absolutely i think uh, at one end uh, some of the value systems that you talk about come from some of the uh, you know in, uh, advice that you got from your mom the creativity comes from probably uh, you know the genes that you carry when you you know when you know that your grandfather is a poet i believe these things uh come back to you uh and i was also uh, looking at uh, you know your twitter handle <laughs> and uh, you know uh, you follow dalai lama so some of this comes from the teachings is it something that you uh, is it something that's close to your uh, heart is that the reason why you have this sense of calmness around you um uh you know it is this is this is first thing that's a great observation swami so you know that's you know, that kudos to you on that again it's something that i've built out for myself i'm not naturally a very calm person you've known me uh, as as you know as a young executive so it's something that i've built out for myself and um i i'm seeking my me and my partner are seeking that kind of life and we built that life for ourselves which is um we we really live a slow growth life now and what that truly means it's not just about wealth you know it's when you talk about slow growth people are usually just they just sort of bucket it in profession it's not just about your profession but the life that you live which is um to do care about things that really matter to understand prioritization to understand that things are not in your control you know to that part in fact the and understanding your lack of control on so many things in life it's humbling it's absolutely humbling it humbles your arrogance and i say that in in the most positive manner because i had so many situations in my life where i've gotten and say i've got this this is in my control i'm going to make it happen don't belly up and sometimes very deep personal things which have gone belly up and those experiences teach you that you have none of this is in your control you only live a day at a time every day it, the fact that you get up you're lucky you know you also recognize there's so many things that have happened to me that make me believe that you know there's this uh you live a life but you actually live two lives one where uh you're just living like you're going to have forever and then you start living knowing that you don't have forever and and that knowledge uh, that awareness of that knowledge that we really truly have limited time how we spend our time is the most important uh, aspect for me in my life today who i spend my time with the most valuable um aspect in my life today my own time is my biggest wealth nothing else and how i spend it who i choose to spend it with um is really what this next phase of my life is and actually has been for some time now so uh now that you've seen it for almost 20 years uh if there's an youngster listening to this uh podcast uh how do you think uh, you know uh, they should structure their career uh because uh, at one stage uh you know uh, i would say you know Uh, we need an impatience uh, you know dna in us at some point in time we need a certain calmness dna in us so uh, so how do you think uh, you know one should structure and think about the career to ensure that there's a balance that uh, you know you can be uh, you know when you look back 20 25 years later you need to look back and then say hey this is really how i pivoted every 3 years so you know so what would would be the advice that you would probably give us two or three key takeaways um again a very good question and i'm going to answer that by stepping back a little bit um a lot of a lot of journalists and a lot of people who i speak with 
uh, even a lot of young people ask me, hey, how did you do it? You know, you live such a, and now you're talking about living a slow growth life, etc. I'm sure you've had to work very hard to be here. Answer to that is yes. Um, you know, my experience, I could not have lived the way I'm living right now when I was at 20, right? Because there is a, at the age of 20, there there's a kind of energy you have in your own gut that drives you. Um, there is an environment around you which is almost free of any sort of responsibilities, right? Be it partnerships or parenthood or any of those things, which you're free of. And I say free of because that's a great phase to be free of things um, because you have that kind of energy. Putting in your 100% is essential. So I will never tell anyone, be relaxed from the very beginning. That's not how I live my life. That's also not how I, not how I recommend anyone else lives, but that, you know, people make their own decisions. It is going over the 100% that burns us out. And that has been my real realization. Putting in the 100% important for success, 100% at work, 100% with your family, being able to really, you know, strike balance in how you're doing at work with your home. You know, there are these three sections, your work, your home, your community. Your work constitutes your career and everything that keeps you productive. Your family is your parents, your partner, your children over a period of time, you, as well as your friends. Your community is the community at large, the impact that you really have on the world and in your community. It doesn't really have to be at a national, global level, just your own community. Right? These are three sections. If you are able to strike balance in these three sections, you're living well. So being able to do that 100% is critical. It is... You know, I, when I look back at my career, it is the times when I went 130%, 140%, 200% when I started to burn out. But even if I had done just the 100%, I would be sitting in the same position as I'm in today, right? The 100% is essential. It is going over and above that that leads to the burnout. Um, and that is my my humble observation. And, and, therefore, and therefore, how would you... Uh... How do you want, because a lot of people sometimes uh, think even giving 100% is, uh, you know, too much, right? So therefore, uh, you do see that as a, uh, as a, uh, as a, you know, as a takeaway in a lot of people today. So therefore, it's important to give 100%, but it, it's important to give 100%, but balance it between these three pillars. That's your advice. 100%. That is exactly my advice that because of any of those sections, which is work, family and community are lacking focus, you're not living a fulfilled life. You know, we keep saying, tomorrow I will have time for family. Tomorrow I will have time for my friends. Tomorrow I will have time for community. But you don't know if tomorrow is even going to come, right? That, realizing that is, is quite profound. Um, and the moment you realize that, you start living better. So 100% in these three buckets, um, lives are hectic and it's easier said than done i have been in situations as a young executive where i've had to you know i've had to put in 100 200 300 percent in what i am doing uh i i feel that younger people today are first you know i would say far more aware i won't say smarter i would say aware of the balance that they own that they need to strike themselves um you know in these three buckets so there's a lot of knowledge and awareness that the young generation is getting into the workforce with. And there is a certain kind of expectation, I feel rightly so, that they have from their workplaces. Because let's be honest, I mean, our workplaces have been pretty excessive for many, many years, right? So we do need to strike the right kind of balance when we work and you know, the number of hours we expect people to put in, etc. So that's my answer to them. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, we are at a stage where, uh, you know, there is a looming recession that people are talking about, yeah. right? Uh, but you started, uh, you know, your journey exactly at, at a time when, you know, recession happened, right? So what is it that you did right, uh, which, uh, you know, people who are looking to start up today, uh, you know, can take a leaf out of? And then say, what are the things that I need to do now that there seems to be a recession that's coming? Uh, so what are the, you know, four or five things that you need to be aware of to ensure that you live through this volatility? 
Yeah. So firstly, um, Varun and Rohit started Glitch in the middle of the yeah. recession, and I joined them a few years later. And what we, I think, what was what is something that we talk about as part of their founding story, is that there was a gap, a gap in the market that no one else was filling. That gap seemed like a very small gap, it seemed like an irritating gap, right? No one else was filling that, and that's what we started to fill. Which is to say that there was an, and, you know, in, in that during that time there were all of the big agencies that were doing certain kind of work, but digital disruption had just started coming about. Right, content suddenly became this big thing, social media became a big thing, and but it was almost looked at as a little tick in the marketing manager's laundry list of things to do. Never the most prominent, right? And it was most often number ten, number twelve. in the entire list of priorities so many people didn't want to touch it so many didn't but so many did and look at the success stories of all of us who sort of started that around that time right where we said that we're going to go after certain kind of content we're going to go after even if it's low value we're going to go after certain kind of creative delivery even if it is low value but we're going to deal with efficiencies at scale and when you start talking about efficiencies at scale and are able to show the person spending the dollars the value on each dollar that the person is spending suddenly you become very important i remember i remember this journey of us very clearly we were people especially in unilever we were people who used to in unilever and in 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 bombay had a massive street inside their office a lovely office correct And we also be there's brew cafe downstairs, and you know Rohit and I and sometimes Varun and we used to be in that cafe, hoping to speak to brand managers, right? And then from that cafe, we were invited to be in in a meeting, sitting in the corner. From that corner, we kept adding value. We got a seat at the table. Very quickly, we got a very very important seat at the table. Then we became the most important people in the room. I have seen us. you know go through that journey because we were very consistent about one thing which is delivering value real value right there was talk about hey are we you know are we are we changing the way advertising is done is this even does this even make sense it is so low value but when you keep you know when you look at when you so culturally sound you know, so there's certain things it was not just about the value right it was about can you actually deliver culturally sound authentic pieces of work add great value that deliver great results if you're able to do that consistently you become a valuable partner and for us that's really that's been the journey and that's what i urge of all young people or older people or people of whichever age gender diversity who are thinking of starting companies right now that even though i wasn't one of the people that went out and took their risk in the middle of the recession um and joined them a, you know sometime later i know very confidently that it is finding that gap and being able to consistently deliver on that gap and being able to take a risk taker and it's, you know risk being taking risks is is something that everyone tells for um, you know when you're starting a company but it is real risk it is real risk right you've done this yourself it could all just blow up and it could mean absolutely nothing your time and effort could mean absolutely nothing but it's actually not nothing every every experience earned is experience earned and you don't know where you're going to use it so what's the worst that can happen is the way you get into it and 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 you and you see where it goes so so therefore what you're saying is during recession look at uh, you know are you delivering value even in a tough environment is that something that you have to keep rethinking and relooking at your business and saying okay if we are not delivering value then relook at it because this is a time when every piece of dollar is actually being questioned right delivering value delivering value um by being disruptive right it's not just about delivering value because there will be many people who will come and deliver value that's the only conversation people will have with you during a recession right that i'm coming to you with value but being disruptive while adding value being consistent about that disruption understanding your market environment so well that you have to be 10 steps ahead of the people taking the decision on the money spends 
and it is for us knowledge was the most valuable asset we had we knew everything about the industry we knew everything about every platform that was out there we knew uh, all the cultural nuances that could help us get to content disruption it was a combination of all of that that sort of helped us get to where we were so that's my that's my uh, sort of the way i would sort of sum it up for everyone okay so uh, let's dive into the world of uh, marketing advertising which i think uh, you've been so successful uh, what do you think uh, you know the marketing department of the future uh, is going to look like and uh, what are you seeing from where you started to where it is today and how do you see it in the next couple of years um there's such debate about this i mean you know it right there is so much debate about how is the marketing environment of the future going to look like uh, so i'll answer how it how it was when we started when we started as glitch marketing was you know in the middle of this there was a there was you know it was there was this flux we didn't know what had to be done right there was one side of the the very traditional agencies that said you have to build brand you have to you know build um consistency with with certain kind of advertising you have to be seen at these places and that's really you know the uh, the traditional matrix of marketing and brand building was was still very much out there people like us came in and said all oh, this is great you continue to do that do that once a year what you need is is volume you need speed you need to be available everywhere you need to be seen everywhere today the customer has evolved so much consumers are extremely smart so you have it's not about making the mo- you know every marketing moment is not a moment to market that's what i tell my marketers you know my my brand managers and cmos we don't have to always be out there talking about something having an opinion about something because look at the world we live in right it's all about are you top of mind are you being relevant are you are you saying the smartest quickest thing in the in the moment of um, you know when there is a marketing moment but it honestly isn't about that anymore uh, customers are seeing through that customers are seeing through brands that are not authentic is seen through communication which is done for the sake of communication i'll give you an example all of you know mothers day fathers day children's day women's day you know the the pride month all of that when brands sort of lap on to all of these moments consumers see through it the marketing community can you know pat each other on the back but so many of them can can see through it. and it is about if you if as a brand we, and and my you know the way i see marketing team sort of flourish as we move forward is a combination of people who truly understand culture which is very important so you know you are you are someone who really understands what is culturally right right culturally relevant and operate with a sense of responsibility okay, which is one very important tenet the second piece with the evolving platforms we have understanding technology is very important extremely important so culture and technology joining hands together critical the third aspect is brand building never goes away right it is it is it is never going to go away because consumers still connect with the values of a brand of what they spend their money on and that part will never go away how much we spend our money doing that is questionable how do you consistently build brand even through a banner a, a post on social a comment on twitter a 140 character tweet anything everything has to come back come back we pull back from what your brand really really stands for you have to be culturally relevant you have to understand technology and learn to play with technology and data of course which is creative director's best friend and brand building never goes away has to tie everything together so in my view you don't need bloated marketing teams you just need someone who understands one person or a combination of two to three people who really understand these three aspects and you're going to be able to build a brand in the modern day so i saw a very interesting comment of yours which said uh, get comfortable with silence so uh, is that something that you think uh, marketing has to start practicing 
Oh my God, that is one of the biggest things I, you know, I have to so often reply, uh, send a message to CEOs and CMOs of our, of some of our brands saying, guys, let's not do it right now. We just need to stay quiet. You don't have to be the loudest, you know, is our need to be the loudest voice. Uh, you know, are, are we part of those lists that says the most happening brands on Valentine's Day? It only makes you feel good, but it has not impacted the consumer at all. You have to be able to pull yourself out of those pieces and really, really get comfortable with silence and listen to your consumer's feedback on the content you put out. Because if you're not listening to them of the things that, because you get feedback almost instantly, right? Today, Correct. you're not constantly listening to them and being able to apologize when you need to, you're not going to be able to be successful um, in the world that we live in today. Contraminds is a podcast dedicated to decoding people, minds, strategy, and culture. We interview and learn from high performers so that you can apply these lessons on your journey to becoming the knowledge worker athlete you were meant to be. The Contraminds podcast is available on all leading podcast players. And if you are interested in revisiting past episodes or taking a look at our show notes from this episode, please visit us at www.contraminds.com forward slash blog. And now... Back to the show. Perfect. So, given this, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, uh, you know, de- marketing department that you spoke about, where I think you're talking about, uh, you know, a culture. You're talking about understanding technology. Uh, what kind of skills do you think a marketing department uh, needs to have? And uh, you know. Uh, in the earlier world, it was all about having a brand manager, having a product manager. You know, there are below-the-line specialists. So how do you think the marketing department of the future will look like and what kind of skills do you think you we need to equip ourselves with? So I'm going to say this from the point of me starting a brand. If I were to have a brand that was up and running today, these are the people that I would have in my marketing team running the show. Number one, I would have someone who is very strong and has an opinion on social media which means that this person is uh, understands how to stay relevant if this person understands how to stay relevant that person is going to be able to keep the brand relevant which is number one number two i would have a person or this same person have the ability to really truly understand platform understand performance that is the only way to win in today's world the third I will never disrespect experience and traditional practices. So it's very important to have someone who understands the traditional aspects of brand building, but is able to mold him or herself into operating with agility and operate and being able to mold themselves to what this complex world of marketing today is. Because, uh, you know, if I, the, you know, I've joked about this before. If I had a journalist, I had an IT professional and I had a brand manager from a traditional company that would make my marketing team. And that's how I would put it. You know, brilliant. I think, uh, you know, the word brand journalism has been spoken about, but it's important that, uh, you know, you get into the culture, you, t- uh, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, how do you really communicate, uh, you know, what is it that you will, uh, you know, uh, communicate and how do you do these messages and communication is very very important in an emotional manner so uh, so do you see a, a you know a debate between uh, one being tactical and the other being more strategic because you know when you sit in a room uh, you know uh, a typical old world brand or an advertising uh, you know, agency would come in and then say, hey, this is the way to build a brand. Uh, and, uh, you know, it all looks like, hey, here is a, uh, you know, a framework while, uh, you know, the importance of uh, the new world agencies understanding the strategic framework and the importance of the strategic guys understanding the, uh, you know, the in-moment marketing, which is also very important. I think that needs to be a fusion of this. And is that important? It is so important, Swami. It is the need of the hour. And that's the thing that has given me sleepless nights uh, over the last few years, which is to get 
our creative strategic teams to sort of think in a way which is not one directional or, or I do strategy and this is what I'm strategic for. I am a social media leader and that's the kind of work that I put out. To be able to merge that has been one of the biggest challenges you know, over the last few years because I moved from building an agency that was, that was really all about you know, winning on digital, winning on social, and then sort of, you know, as we grew, you know, bringing on talent that was, uh, you know, that was very highly strategic and didn't understand uh, the need for speed and didn't understand the need for why do we need to get turned around in, you know, in a couple of weeks rather than a few months. Um, you know, it, it is a challenge. I do think that um, everything is marketing. There is no tactical strategic marketing. If you are out there, you're marketing, right? And you know, I think we should take, um, you know, a sort of a page from a lot of the young companies who started out recently, um, brands, I mean, who started out recently, who didn't necessarily focus on, you know, large scale brand building, but still went out and were able to find some amount of success for themselves, right? Let's just sort of look at Mama Earth, for example, and, uh, you know, there was no large scale brand building that was done for Mama Earth when they started out. But, uh, or look at Boat, for example, you know, the headphone company didn't go out and build large campaigns, but they've been able to find, they've been able to be consistent about a certain kind of philosophy, right? That is Mama Earth talking about certain kind of ingredients or, you know, really sort of experimenting with certain kind of ingredients. Boat, on the other hand, really going out and being very unique, uh, you know, at great value, being able to find very different kind of disruptors in you know in an already crowded headphone market industry both of these companies really have started large scale brand building after they reached a certain stage but they'd already reached that peak and they did that it, it was not distract or you know distracted marketing they were not saying one thing one day and another thing one day they stuck true to their values. I am pure about my ingredients and I am a disruptor when it comes to the entire headphone market. So be it the colors they came up with or be it the kind of, you know, equipment they came up with. They've been able to do that. And it, and it makes you think that the amount of money that we spend in traditional brand building, these guys have done it in a matter of no time, right? So... There is that balance again that one has to strike in what we spend, how much money and time on and how it is being able to understand that, look at what they've done. They've they put it out there with a certain kind of value system that they believed in as brands. They were constantly experimenting. They were going back and redoing things after listening to feedback consistently, very quickly coming back out there and putting out new content, new products, etc. It is the speed, the agility, the uh, you know the the DNA of disruption, the DNA of being able, you know, understanding how to win in the digital world. It's 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 fabulous, and uh, and it's something that so many of the traditional brands, you know, I, I if if this was two years ago, I would have said, gosh, you guys really need to sit up and take notice. But today, everyone has to have and taken notice. You know, they all know that. Uh, you need to change the way we operate as marketing and agency, as marketing and agency partners. Uh, you know, when we're putting our product or communication in the market today. So, uh, one challenge uh, that uh, normally uh, you start facing is, uh, you know, how do you get creativity? How do you get creativity into a data guy, and how do you get, uh, you know, uh, data into a creative guy? Yeah. Okay. Is this not the challenge that you face in an industry? And how do you approach this problem? Uh, you know, so I honestly have only approached this with telling all my data scientists one thing. Do not operate with the assumption that you're not creative. Because of the amount of knowledge that you are sitting with, the insights that you are sitting on, being able to even identify those insights is a form of creativity, Right. Because when you mine that data and you're able to form that insight, it is a form of creativity because you're putting your own, you know, you there's a lens of perception, there's a sense of value, there's a sense of cultural know-how. It's on the basis of that that you form that insight. 
that is creativity you know when i've said that to people it has liberated them because suddenly you're going into a creative meeting not thinking that i'm just the data guy or i'm just the person who's coming with the insight but someone who has an opinion on what kind of comms will potentially work they may not be writing the headline or writing the tag or coming up with that great jingle they may not be those people but what they have done is a form of creativity in a similar way when it comes to creative teams say hey i don't understand data but especially at glitch as we were building glitch uh, our creative teams were looking at the data on social platforms looking at trends looking at what people were talking and on the basis of that have created some of the biggest award winning most impactful communication that we have put out so it is you know there is there is no there is no segregation of left and right in my opinion you know there is the left brain and right brain are truly merged there is obviously a you know one has is better at the other but there is an intersection and there's only there is only whole brain thinking exactly there is only whole brain thinking and uh, if you don't operate with that because that's important right you have to set the rules of the land when you run a meeting and the rules of the land is there is no left and right brain this is this is you know we are we are a creative company and as a creative company everyone in this organization is creative so uh, i'm coming to a very different question uh, you know uh, so when you look at uh, these creative companies uh, what are the challenges of scaling a services business because let me give you some uh, you know data points so uh, i was looking at this data uh, in 1998 uh, wpp was like a 2 billion dollar company and uh, google was just starting up that year okay so i looked at the you know 2021 data uh, you know maybe uh, you know i would say uh, you know revenue wise uh, wpp is about 6 billion but you have uh, somebody like uh, google which is at you know probably 24 billion okay uh, so the nature and scale of not the creativity but how do you monetize creativity and therefore how do you scale your business has been a challenge right so therefore how do you really scale a services business and how do you build uh, you know revenue and monetization for some pretty you know brilliant talent that's out there yeah again a, a good question and people far smarter than me have answered this very eloquently but i'm going to give it my take which is the fact that you cannot put a price on creativity and i may want to say that in a meeting room and say hey this is priceless but at the end of the day someone has to write that check right and which is why you don't sell creativity you sell a product you don't sell a service you sell a product and that is important so what we have done and you know while i have for me advertising is now sort of behind me in a sense right but what we did is we were building glitch is it was not about the talent or the creative person that came in and which is why we put value to that creative idea it was the kind of products and services that we created which were tangible which you could put value on for example we automated video production for example there was certain piece on on technology and really building smart tech for um you know things that were happening you know long ago when apps became a big deal and when um you know um personalization became a big deal we create we looked at all of those aspects and added a pro- and built products so in any year we had at least 5 to 10 new products and services that we were launching which is what we priced for not creativity because creativity my price may be 100 rupees on else's is 50 rupees right the person is always going to go with the one with 50 rupees it has to be with what is the product that you take into the market so to answer your question the more sharper manner is 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 a service industry as scalable there is enough evidence to show that it is not as scalable as tech, a tech industry or you know a product industry or a, you know an industry like that but if you are able to create um 
products and services backed by tangible technology something that a, a marketing manager is putting money behind is going to actually be able to see result very very quickly that's the only way um, you know you're going to be able to scale up but not on the back of creative retainers that's not happening anymore so so i think you're making a very very important point pooja i think what you're saying is think about productization of your services is that the future of how uh, you know marketing agency should be thinking and therefore building revenues and uh, enveloping services around it maybe that's really what you are talking about right is, in fact we've been doing that for the last 6 7 years as glitch which is we have we really branded our services and and created products out of them right that is how i would say it we've created multiple brands against which we're able to charge a certain amount of dollar for that particular product itself and not necessarily for someone's time on that brilliant so therefore uh, you're saying uh, dealing time to uh, an intellectual asset yes. and charge for the intellectual asset and uh, creativity is an outcome of your uh, intellectual asset and that's really the product absolutely you said it yeah yeah absolutely Perfect. okay uh, i'm coming to the next section uh, pooja which is really around leadership uh, uh, i've seen you uh, as a leader who's evolved over years and uh, i think uh, what uh, really uh, you know at least uh, i can see is uh, you know every uh, you know uh, interview of yours every discussion of yours every podcast of yours every maybe town hall of yours uh, what i've heard people say is you know you really talk about one interesting point which is me needs to be the servant of we right i thought it's a very nice statement and as a leader how important is it to be a servant of we if you are a leader and that is the most important aspect because especially um you know in the environment that i have operated in because that's how i how i wanted to be led so it comes down to me which is the fact that if i was not part of uh, a decision making if i was not empowered enough to move and grow in my organization i would not i was not happy i would not be successful i have had great leaders who have really empowered me and that is what i have taken to my own leadership which is the fact that it is not just about pooja's voice it is not just about pooja's opinion but neither is it a pure play democracy where no decisions get taken right it has to be that perfect balance where people feel empowered and when people feel empowered magic happens you know when there is leadership at every level magic happens when you believe that your leaders have your back magic happens right and that is what has worked for me which is as we built an organization we were we were conscious of equal opportunity we were conscious and valued opinions and people's voices we were conscious of being fearless and and in creating an environment where people could really raise their hand and challenge right as we did that we ended up being an organization i want you to know it was not you know these are these are your values and hence you operate in a certain way but when you look back you look back and say those are the things we did right right and which is what i was able to sum up for you right now that i have seen this been being the most magical revelation to me that an empowered organization is uh, an organization that creates magic and uh, that's what i take to the way i like to run my company my teams my exco um which is it's not just about pooja uh, but it's about all of us together and i happen to be the leader of that and this is a simple secret and why do people find it hard to do this I you know I don't know but uh, I think it's also the uh, there's one thing that I say very often and people take that the wrong way 
is that I have great confidence in my own self and great faith in my own self that I don't need to pull someone else down or not give someone else the light to be able to shine. I do believe that good leaders are leaders who are very confident people, who are secure people. Because if you are not confident and secure yourself, you will never be able to let anyone else flourish. And good leadership, so great leaders are only defined by other people. You don't call yourself a great leader. Someone else calls you a great leader, right? And that only happens if they have felt good under your leadership, right? So it, it's, it's just that my own, I'm, I have such great faith in myself, Swami. It's undying. No, no, I, I would totally agree. And I think uh, you hit that point uh, very well, which is being secure about yourself is the first step to being a leader. Yes. Right? Leave your designation, leave whatever. But are you secure about yourself? Because insecurity creates a whole host of problems. And I think the reason why you, you were able to do that is you are secure about yourself. I think that's the answer I was looking for and you actually gave me that answer. So it's a very, very important uh, you know, thing to learn. And maybe that's the reason uh, when you say, you know, it's a, it's a very easy thing to do, but it's the most hard thing to do, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's really the key. Yeah. Uh, I would ask you one other question. Uh, you were a VP of client strategy. And then you may you transform to being a CEO. So what are the changes that you had to go through when you did this transformation? Again, a fabulous question. I think a que- an answer which I f- will add value to people growing up uh, the charts in the corporate world. Now, when you're VP of client strategy, you run the client strategy aspect of the business. Taking the decisions, the good and the bad are all yours, right? It's it's hard, it's amazing, it's also very, very rewarding. When you become CEO, you in a sense become a janitor. And I don't mean that in a negative manner. You're a janitor, you're a therapist, you're only a problem solver. The aspect of the constant... Um, you know, there's things that reach your desk only when they, they reach a certain level, right? That's what happens. There are a few things that happen at that stage. Number one, you, st- you know, the word FOMO is actually is very important here. It's the fear of missing out. You're suddenly not in all of the meetings anymore. You're not the one running, uh, you know, uh, that, that brainstorm, which is what gave you such joy, And you're suddenly focused on on things that were very tactical, that were very executive, important yet executive. There's a, you know, there's, uh, I feel that there's a cycle, just like a grief cycle, there is a escalation cycle, there's a growth cycle that you go through. There's a part of you which is like, hey, I've got this designation, there's certain expectation from it. There's a part of you, I hate this job. I really don't like what I actually have to do as this job. The moment you get through that acceptance, you have to leave a part of you behind. Right? You have to let go. You have to let other people do what you loved to do. You have to let them make their own mistakes. There's that cycle. You go through that cycle of acceptance. When you have accepted is when you start doing. You start performing as a CEO. And stop looking at it as just the tactical aspect but with that massive responsibility that everyone's actually looking to you to lead the ship, right? And waking up every morning and coming to work, realizing that the decision that I make today, the conversations that I have with people, the phone that I answer, the comment that I may write, an email that I may send out to a young colleague, the value of my time the value of my opinion, the value of anything that I need to do has just gone up hundredfold. It's, it's absolutely humbling, scary. I have to say that. Extremely scary. But also immediately makes you a completely different person. 
and you have to constantly train yourself and i have i'm, I'm not shy of that at all in fact i think i recommend that to everybody now when i took on this job i started working with professional coach i i worked with a therapist to make sure if i was mentally fit if i was physically strong my organization was mentally fit and my organization would be physically strong right and i made sure that i constantly equipped myself to be the ceo of an organization because you're not a born ceo you learn to be ceo i hope i answered your question brilliant brilliant uh, the other thing that i want to uh, you know uh, ask you is often you are not taught the other functional skills like finance okay. admin hr and suddenly uh, you know these are meetings that you need to take uh, how do you transform to that role when suddenly those functions uh, you were not never responsible for uh, suddenly come under you and suddenly you look at uh, you know uh, hr as a cost Uh, something as a margin this as an ebita and uh, how so how did you look at it and how did you transform yourself to actually say you know what i think these are critical components in organization building yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and that's a very again like uh, you know you're right that it's not something that you're taught it's something that you're shocked when you have to do right because when you when you get that job you're like hey it's going to be business as usual right and then suddenly i have to do a meeting on tax and then i have to do a meeting on on gratuity and i have to do a meeting on you know with admin on office chairs and lights and acs you're holding your head and you suddenly wonder what all you know did you really sign up for this but the what i really did is i truly took the time to a understand these functions over time i learned to value the importance of all of these functions and and not just in in how they feature on my pnl but how important they are as an as an organization skills without um you know finance hr admin working together the organization will never be strong so today the most important people for me is my cfo is my chief talent officer the most important people for me are these two people because without finance and people there is no organization and you understand that uh, over a period of time but for me very very quickly um uh, it, it was it was quite uh, there were many days where i would come back home wondering that i i'm suddenly not part of that really important pitch that i wanted to be part of but i just did a meeting on people policies you know so yeah it is it's it's a journey and uh, but you eventually start enjoying all of it uh, and uh, a follow up question to that is uh, uh, when you are uh, you know a vp client strategy or when you are in the midst of uh, you know a middle management role uh, 100% of your time goes into uh you know probably a lot of client business uh for the client you you think 100% yeah. uh but when you become a ceo how much of time did you allocate for strategic thinking for the company uh i would say that you know 50% of my time was that because um if i was not giving 50% of my time on what the strategic direction of the company was going to be i was going to fail um and i was very conscious of that i'm i'm a planner just as just my natural uh you know just the way i manage myself and my life and my time it had to be that this is how i was distributing my energy more than my time you know uh my energy was focused on driving the organization in a certain direction as very clear very articulate about that with my secretary on the direction that we had to go in being able to delegate and let go of my articulation and let everyone else flourish in in the direction that we were going in was equally important which is why it was only 50% and uh, and which is what has has really helped me all of the leaders that were with us when we started when you know we reached a certain level as glitch today are sitting at chief roles in the network um all of them have stayed with us all of these years and today sit in these positions it only happened 
because the articulation of the goal and the direction that we had was clear and they flourished in that articulation because they could make it their own and move forward balance 50% went into everything else which is equally important which is people and you know the health of our pnl the ethics with which we run our pnl and how clean our books were all of that really was the balance 50% brilliant so what you're really saying is uh, you know thinking 50% for the company uh you know was the big transformation that you did from the role that you were doing to the role as you grow grow into a ceo role so it's important for people to get prepared for it right oh, 100% yeah okay so i am going to uh, you know uh, end this with a couple of quick fire questions okay yes. uh so my first question to you is uh, what does success mean to you poja being able to sleep well at night my god <laughs> this is an answer that i have not got uh, so frequently from others uh, what's the best piece of advice that you ever got uh, in your life that you can remember uh it was i think um my husband who told me very recently uh that i need to be able to just let it go and um you know there was it was on the point of um, comparison and he really did tell me that comparison is is the killer of joy uh and i think it was the best advice that he gave me and it's sort of etched in my mind very good uh what would be the advice you would give to an 18 year old in a university today have um if you don't have the fire in your belly you can create it um you must do the 100% uh you must be um unbashedly knocking on doors that you want open for yourself you are not the center of anyone else's life you are only you are the hero of your own life so take decisions accordingly great uh what is one thing that uh, you believe in that that others don't agree with you on that the universe rewards you uh i have my friends have most often made a lot of fun of me i am a person who has manifested my life today at 36 i can at 37 now i can say that with experience that i've manifested my life i wanted to live a certain kind of life and today i live that life and um, i'm a true believer that what you put out into the universe the energy that you put out into the universe you find a way to subconsciously work towards that there is great power in articulating the kind of life you want to live actually say this is the kind of life i want to live this is what i want to do when i am 30 years old this is what i this is what i would like from my partner this is what i would like from my marriage from my profession there is great power in saying it in words and putting it out there because you find a way to make it happen and most brilliant. people don't believe in me but i think now they started to <laughs> brilliant uh, uh if you were to uh, you know uh, invite three or four people for a dream dinner uh who would you invite them and why i would not waste my time on anyone else besides my closest friends and family Uh, because i have such limited time so i have no interest in uh, spending my time with people that just don't make me extremely happy my life table is full of people i love and those are the people invited to any dinner that i may host brilliant <laughs> uh so my last question to you is uh, now that you've heard this podcast now that uh, you know you've seen the kind of uh, uh, questions that we ask who would be one guest who you think you would recommend for uh this podcast so that you can listen to that person in this podcast oh that's uh, uh that's interesting who would i like on your podcast um you know i'm i'm very intrigued by and i think this may be very offbeat i hope it works you can push it over the field but i'm very interested of people who work in the world health organization 
because of just the way our world is today right and what all they have to do i would be very interested to listen because of how your podcast is and the kind of people that you have brought on and the diversity of the people you got on i would be very interested to listen to someone from from the world health organization someone up there in the world health organization talk to um about their own about decision making about uh the policies that they set out because what they do really enables us to live the way we do right and and that's what so I somebody would somebody like saumya swaminathan or somebody like that Probably. right yeah 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 who's who's in the world health organization and probably she's taking you know wide ranging decisions uh, around you know uh, the covid and yeah. yeah and not just about covid but so much about public health about public health correct about public health okay thanks a ton pooja it was lovely talking to you and uh, i really enjoyed the answers that uh, you know you shared with me it's it was completely uh, honest authentic and it was really fun talking to you thank you sonia i will thoroughly enjoy this conversation as well all the best for everything you do thanks for listening to this episode for selected links and detailed show notes visit www.contraminds.com/blog follow contraminds on social media and let us know who you would like to see next on the podcast If you're listening to Contraminds on Apple Podcasts, do share your comments and give us a rating. We are keen to know what you're thinking. Contraminds is also on YouTube. If you're listening to the podcast on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and stay up to date on all our releases. Thanks for listening and stay safe.